30s was the toughest for me. I actually hated being 35 years old because I wasn't where I wanted to be. I just, I realized that I didn't want the catering business anymore. I, I suddenly, at age you know, 35, I was gonna also all of a sudden, now I decided I wanted to be a writer. And it, it's not the easiest place to start when, you, when you're older. You have to work twice as hard. And so I work twice as hard. I'm delighted to welcome my guest today, Hal Rubenstein, a writer, designer, and one of the founding editors of InStyle magazine, where he served as fashion director for 15 years. Hal learned to write at just three years old and has never looked back. He's an award-winning journalist, author of numerous books, including the best-selling 100 Unforgettable Dresses, and his latest book, Dressing the Part, Television's Most Stylish Shows. Formerly men's style editor of the New York Times magazine, Rubenstein has had cover stories and interviews published in The New Yorker, Elle, Interview, Vogue, Vanity Fair and Details. In 2011, he was awarded the Council of Fashion Designers of America's Founders Award for his contribution to the world of fashion. In addition, Rubenstein is a highly respected and prolific food critic for nearly three decades. He lives in New York City with his husband, David, and his dog, Murray. And I'm absolutely thrilled to welcome Hal here, who very last minute accommodated a change in recording venue. And as you'll hear, it wasn't quite as quiet as we would have liked, but I hope you'll stick with us. It's a fascinating chat. What is it the thing that gets you up out of bed in the morning? And I subscribe to this Japanese philosophy, you may have heard of it, called Ikigai. And it's essentially your reason for getting up out of bed in the morning. Mm. And there's kind of four, uh, it's like a Venn diagram and there's four parts to it. And it's where these four parts overlap. So one circle is what you love doing. The other one is uh, what the world needs. The third one is what you get joy from. And the fourth one is what you can make money from. So where they all intersect is your Ikigai. So it's your reason for getting up out of bed in the morning. What's your icky guy? I'm always fascinated, in a, not in a good way, when somebody says, you know, how you, you know, how's things, uh, how, you, how you doing? And somebody says, same old, same old. I have never said that in my life. Like, really? You got up in the morning to do exactly the same thing you did the day before? And I don't mean you shouldn't have a job. The, the, the job, you are not your job. I mean, I think that that's, that's problem number one is that unfortunately we've created a society and especially living in New York or, or in, 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 in LA you, and you hear it, the second or third question out of anyone's mouth is, what do you do? And what do you do so this way they can follow you? And, and one, of the, one of the things I always, when I started traveling to Europe for, for you know, men and women shows and fashion, one, one of the things I used to love was the fact, you know, granted, the fashion world is, is its own little microcosm. But when you go to Europe and you meet people, People don't ask you what you do. When you live outside of New York City, people don't ask you what you do first. Your, 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 your work shapes you, but it doesn't necessarily define you, and, I, and it's always made me bristle. Um, and, and so when you go back to that phrase, same old, same old, you may do the same job every day, but that doesn't mean your day should be the same every day. Why, why don't... Find one new thing to discover every day. Just one. Just one. And, and it just... It, and Some people take it. lots of comfort in same old, same old. I'm not one of those people. No, no, no. Look, I, I mean, I have to say, my husband is an engineer. I mean, he's selling real estate now, but he was an engineer from the time he was 14. He loves routine. Spontaneity is a frightening word for him. Nevertheless, but he still has a curiosity to education. He still has a curiosity to go research things he doesn't know. I, 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 again, even, even if you're a linear thinker, even if, even if you, 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 you do 
focus on, on routine and you're not looking to make sharp left turns. Nevertheless, the road in front of you is still a surprise. And instead of being frightened of it, I think that's the problem. People, people are afraid of whatever they don't know. When if anything, the things you don't know should be the things that should excite you and spur you on. My, my equivalent to, to a phrase I hate is like, if I'm wearing an outfit and someone says, it's fine, it's grand. I'm like, no, it's too gray for me. That's too middle of the road. I either want it to be fabulous or awful, but like, give me a definite. Well, it's, just, it's the same thing when people, you know, like, you know, wait, wait, you know, what do you want to do? I don't care, whatever you want to do. Really? You have no opinion? You have no opinion, wow. You have five senses and a, and a, and a brain and you have no opinion. Have you ever been worried about expressing your opinion, actually? Because obviously we live in a world now where cancel culture, something I hate, is it something that ever kind of strikes fear in you? Um, I mean, look, these days I think everybody has gotten... There, there are so many people who sit on social media just eager to be offended. They, they just sit there waiting for it. They're, they're just they're rubbing their hands together. They're just waiting for you to either drop the wrong word or say something that pisses them off or... or, or or, or making fun using a stereotype. Stereotypes, by the way, exist because there are enough people to actually fill that type. You gotta be, when you criticize, you gotta be aware of the impact of words. Words matter. Mm -hmm. Words matter. And we live in a situation, like I said, we're all very touchy. Everybody's, everybody suddenly is being, like they're made out of Dresden China. And, 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 and that, yes, yeah, you be careful, but am I, am I going to hesitate in, in, in giving you my opinion? No, not if you ask for it. Okay, we will segue on that note. Yes. Obviously, this is the number with Darren Kennedy and we're going to crunch the numbers. Okay. So first question for you, what's a meaningful number for you in your family? Well, there's only, there, there was only four of us. Um, it, it, it's, well, it was four of them when I was growing up, which is my mother and my father and my sister and myself. My grandmother actually lived with us, who I adored. But my immediate family, we, we were always a small family, but we were... Uh, People would, well, I would always be startled when people either wouldn't go home for, they weren't going home for Thanksgiving, they were going on, you know, they're, they're going to go with their friends someplace else. And I'm not, I don't mean as a kid, but growing up, like my 20s, my 30s, my 40s. Um, you always gravitated towards home. Why not? Yeah. Why wouldn't I want to spend time with my mother, my father, my sister? They're my parents are gone now, but my parents were sensational people. My sister's terrific. So, um, why not? Are you the eldest? I'm the, yeah, I'm the eldest. She's four years younger. She actually was, um, I'm born on the 20th of June. She was born on the 14th. So um, when I was four, she, my mom came home from the hospital on the 20th. So she was my birthday present when I was four. Your, your very own baby doll. Yeah, and she still is my birthday present to me. <laughs> um, when I was a kid, I would always have this dream that, I, I constantly, a dream that, that my life was going to open up and really figure out who I was when I was 42. And it was always 42. Why 42? I have no clue. And I have a personal interest in this question because my next birthday, I'll be 42. I have no idea. Because there are, there, there, I mean, there are other, there are, there are other, not, that, like there's, there's something in, in, not that I'm a big astrology person and I don't read my horoscope, I've been, I had no chart done, but there is something, like, there was cosmos and stuff. There's something called the, your, um, the years of your Saturn return, it takes Saturn 28 uh, years to go around the sun. And Saturn controls, you know, supposedly controls certain parts or aspects of, of your 
uh, of your demeanor, of your, of your, your sense of ambition, of your focus. So your first 28 years. And when you turn 28, and if you think about it, I mean, people always talk about your teens and so forth, and you're becoming a person. Your, your, your teens, you're a jerk. You know nothing. You think you know everything, but you know absolutely nothing. Um, you just, you're better off having a good time and being stupid. That's really what you should do when you're a teenager. Try everything, do, and knock yourself out. In your 20s, 20s, I, 20s are really, I think, the most emotionally like, tumultuous uh, time in anybody, anybody's life. Because you've you got to figure out, how do I make my mark? How do I be independent? Um, uh, how do I get out from, uh, from under my parents? Or how do I stop relying on them, whatever it is? Uh, and who am I going to be? And if you think, if, if most people think about the years, 20, when you're 28, everything kind of settles in. Saturn starts turning the other way. And you, you sort of figure out your path, where you want to be. And so that, that is an important thing. But I, oddly enough, I figured out I was a person, but I didn't figure out what I wanted to do. Until you were in your 40s. And then so in, in, in my 40s, in my 40s is when I started writing, um, I think that was, um, it, it, I, I started writing for, for details, but in, 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 I created a magazine for Malcolm Forbes in 1989. Malcolm Forbes, as in the Forbes magazine? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, Malcolm, was a, uh, Malcolm was a fan of the uh, Elite Manhattan column. So he wrote me once and said, I love what you do. I love the way you write. The restaurants, I, you know, how do you do this and why? How do you because he was a big foodie too? And I, I wrote him back and I said, Look, I can explain it all in a letter. I said, But why don't Let's we go just for dinner? Why don't I just take you to lunch yeah. and I'll show you how it goes? And and he said, Fine, he goes, I'll pick you. I goes, I'll take you. He said, he said Let's go, let's go to lunch. I'll take you to lunch. I said, No, I'm taking you to lunch. And he said, Fine, I'll come, I'll, you know, I'm, I'm gonna come up, I'll pick you up in the motorcycle. I said, No, you won't. I said, you'll pick me up in your green Rover because I don't get on motorcycles. <laughs> no way in hell. You know, you're not going to impress me. I'm not riding on the back of your motorcycle. So, um, and, we, and we went and we, and we started a correspondence. And I was writing, though, at that time for about 10 different magazines. Casually, I, casually 10 different magazines. I, I, I had a column in Vogue. I, I was a, a monthly contributor to, to, to Elle magazine. I had a column in The New Yorker called The Edge of Nightlife. Best column I ever had about anything. I could write about anything that happened, anything, anywhere, as long as the sun had gone down. Oh, what's the most salacious thing you wrote? Oh, I, I, I mean, I, I did argu arguments with lovers on, on a subway. We did we did S&M clubs. Um, we did all, all, you know, basically all night, all night discos. I went down to... Uh, there was there was, like midnight midnight cockfighting someplace a place in the Bronx. I discovered you know uh, uh, mahjong games in uh, late late night kitchen staff mahjong games in Chinatown. What? Oh no! Yeah, it was All, everything going on. Everything. It just it, you know I it just it, as long as it, as long as the sun had set, I could write. So it was great. So what I didn't know was that Malcolm was keeping track of everything I was doing for a year and a half. And then uh, one day he called me into lunch to, to meet him at lunch at, at his townhouse. And he, and, and now, and it was, remember, it was the first day of, it was, it was going to be the first, it was the first day of Passover. It was going to be the first night of Passover. And I go to sit down and I, I walk in and on his desk is every, mag I could see it, it was a stack of everything I had written in the last year and a half. 
It was a stack from Interview Magazine, a stack from New York Magazine, it was a stack from Elle Magazine, it was a stack from, it, it, it just, they were all there. He meant business. Yeah. And he said, well, I'm thinking of buying Interview, and if I buy Interview, would you like to run it? And I said, I said, wow. I said, you sure know how to fuck up a lunch. Um, <laughs> I said, but here's the problem. I said, you're not going to get it. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, well, you offered, as far as, if, if, I, if I remember reading correctly, I said, and I had no idea what this lunch was about, so it wasn't like I had done any homework for it. I had just, I keep, journalists, you keep track. I, I said, you, had, you were offering about six, $6.2 million for, 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 for interview. I said, and the brands are going to offer 12. I said, and you know it's not worth 12, and I know it's not worth 12, but it's 12. So you're not going to get this magazine. So it's an incredible offer, and I'm very flattered, but now what do we do? And he said, well, have you ever thought of running a magazine? And I said, no. Had you not at that point? What? Had you not, like as a writer? running one? No, no, I hadn't. And he said, well, if you had one, what would you do? I said, well, give me a minute. And then I spoke for three and a half hours. <laughs> Why does that not surprise me? <laughs> About what I think, what I would love to see in magazines. Um, I, I wanted the magazine... This is remember. This is back in the late '80s, where our, our most important form of popular art was record album covers. Was record. So I wanted the magazine in the shape of a record album cover, and uh, we, we didn't pick the name a, a initially. But I wanted it to be about discovery, about every. Go back to that word discovery. Everything new, who's up and coming. You know, it's it, it just I I don't I I it I, it didn't need to be competing with Vogue to see who's on the cover of Vogue or who's on the cover of Esquire. I wanted people who were new. And, um, when we cre- and so when we created Egg, it was all about discovery. It was, uh, it was Liam Neeson's first cover. It was Vanessa Williams' first cover. It was Annette Bening's first cover, John Cusack's first cover. Uh, we discovered Terra Chips, I mean. So it was right on the zeitgeist of everything. Everything. fascinated by the fact that you had somehow anticipated that by the age 42 things would start coming together for you and they did mm-hmm. you think that's manifesting i don't that's funny i don't believe in fate there's a yiddish word that people love to use called beshert um i i think it's very sweet you know you and david are beshert i actually think the universe is random i i think things happen that are random i think what happens is that I, I think life is random. You just have to be ready for the opportunity when it shows up. And when did David show up? David showed up in 1996, on December 19th. So you were ready. And yeah. You were ready. You were ready. So actually that leads me on, I hope you didn't answer it, but when it comes to love, what is your number? December 19th. That is it. Oh my December God, perfect. 19, 19, 1996. So is that when you met him at the airport in That's person? when we first saw each other face to face. And it was weird because it's, um, remember, if, if you physically can't do anything, like I, like I said, you just keep talking. So we, um, there were so many, I, I was in love with this man before I met him simply because I knew so much about him and I knew the way he thought and, and I knew how he, I, I just, I knew the things that, that, he, that he valued. You know, he got off the plane. I just, I had this hysterically ridiculous smile on my face. Um, and yes, and then we were together we were together almost every single weekend until he moved here in March. And he moved from where? Tulsa, Oklahoma. Oklahoma. So a question for you. So you're a young man about town, fashionable, got this great job, great network. 
You needed to get a man from Oklahoma when you're here in New York City. What happened? I, I honestly, I almost never dated anybody from New York. <laughs> I've always dated people. I've, I've for some reason, I, I had a, just a, a, an affinity for people from the South. I don't know. Maybe it's their manner. Maybe there's, there's, uh, there's, people in New York love stress. <laughs> I, I don't get it. Um, and you're a New Yorker, right? You're born here. Yeah. But I'm, you know, but also stress, stress has no upside. Okay. It's, as, as, as someone who's been HIV positive for close to 40 years, um, trust me, stress has no positive effect on anybody. There's a difference between drive, ambition, and stress. Stress will kill you. Stress will hurt you. Stress will suck the joy out of everything you do. It'll, 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 it'll gnaw at you. It'll, it'll pick at your relationship. It'll, it'll take the fun out of your job. Um, so, and, and New York, and, and somebody who grew up in this city, it's one of the things as a native New Yorker you learn very quickly is the way you survive living in New York is you got to get out of here once a month. Two months max. And I always, I've always done that. I mean, now I'm basically living upstate since the pandemic, but you've got to get out of here uh, and, and because it will, it, it, it will just, you're living in a pace that isn't, I don't want to use the word normal, but isn't natural. It's not healthy. Uh, New York's an extraordinary city, but it also, but it's, you know this, you're living in this magnificent bubble. The rest of the world doesn't think like New York. It's very important that you under, one, my, my problem when people come here and there's so much to do, and so, but you don't get outside. So you don't know how people in Tulsa, Oklahoma think. And you don't know how people in Dublin think. And you don't know how people in, in Tel Aviv think. And you really need to. Can I ask you a question about something you mentioned a little bit earlier? You said you were diagnosed with HIV yeah. almost 40 years ago, so in the 80s. And I'm, again, I was only born in the 80s, so I'm presuming yeah. based on what I've read and what I've seen on TV. I mean, was that like receiving a death sentence then. Well, I was told that. I was told I'd be dead in four months. Four I months? I was, I, I was handed a packet of AZT, and they said, take 12 of these a day, and you have four months left uh, to live. And I handed the AZT back, and I said, you, why, you're handing me poison. I, I, when I, I knew about, I, I knew about uh, AIDS when it was so-called GRID, gay-related immune deficiency, and I... I said, I will find alternative. And he actually said there, sat there and told me, well, you know, you, I understand you're going to go to macrobiotics or naturopathy or homeopathy. Or the, and he goes, and he's, and, you know, or, or some Eastern medicine. He said, well, none of them are going to work. So what did you do? And I said, whoa. I said, first of all, you know about a half an hour's more information than I do. So you got a hell of a lot of nerve for telling me what will and won't work because none of us know what's going to work. So... Who the fuck are you to, 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 to basically to, to sabotage, to sabotage my future? What ages in particular were significant for you and why? And do you kind of attribute a lot to age? Yeah, when people like you wrote in the thing, age, you know, age is just a number. That's bullshit. Um, age matters. Age matters. Being 20 matters. Being 30 matters. Being 40 matters. Not because I think you have to have goals and you have to hit marks, but it's about... It's about the amount of experience you've had on this earth. 
It's, it's about the people that you've encountered in your 20s. How you process information and stimuli when you're 20 is not the same as how you pro- process it when you're 40. Or at least I hope it isn't. If you're still processing it the same way, then something's the matter with you. Simply because if you should be absorbing knowledge as you constantly get older. You're, you're, you're acquiring experiences as you get older. But your body is also changing, whether you like it or not. You know, it, it, it's just... It's, if, 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 you were, if you go to the gym at age 60 and try to work out the same way that you did when you were 30, you're going to fuck up your body. Is life in your 50s better than life in your 20s? It was. <laughs> I'm pissed. I'm Is life in your 60s better than life in your 40s? It was. That's amazing. I'm 72. 72. You do not look it. And I mean that just no. completely genuinely. So, so at, at the age of 72, yeah. is there any age that you wake up and go, I wish I was that age again? Look, I, I, you know, look when I woke up, when, when, when you're in your 20s, nothing hurts. Okay, nothing hurts. You're, you're, you think you're in, I mean, despite the, you know, despite whatever the age diagnosis is, you know, you think you're invincible. You do. And it's a, and it's a great illusion to have. It really is a great illusion to have. You also, you're also going off in 27 directions at once. I think that one of the lovely things about when I was in my 40s is you learn, I, I, I think, 30s was the toughest for me. You had, there's a number there where you said, I actually hated being 35 years old. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. I, I hated like, being 35. Is there a number you wish you could forget? Because I Why? Wasn't, because, I wasn't, because I wasn't where I wanted to be. Because I was, I was I just, I realized that I didn't want the catering business anymore. Um, I, it was, it was uh, my partner and I were, we, was, we were friends, but we, we both wanted different things out of the business. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to go where she wanted to go. And I didn't want that. And I wanted to, and I, I suddenly... At age, you know, 35, I was going to, so all of a sudden, now I decided I wanted to be a writer. And it, it's not the easiest place to start when, you, when you're older. You have to work twice as hard. And so I worked twice as hard. But it, it just made it difficult. But in the 40s, 40s, everything started to click. Like I said, everything started to click, like I said, in, in 1992 when I was 42. And then, uh, and then my 50s, um, the great thing about the 50s is you suddenly realize that you just don't give a shit. That you don't have to put up with anything you don't want to anymore. If people bug you, they can stay over there. The, what I try to encourage people when they get older, instead of wishing, you know, wishing they were younger or, or, or having a midlife crisis and starting, you know, start dating somebody ten, two decades younger, which again, can be wonderful if you find the right person. But I think what it's, it's there's nothing wrong. If you, you've got to be able to find the joy in being in your 40s, the joy in being in your 50s, the joy in being in your 60s. And what can I do now that I couldn't do before? Instead of looking at the things that, that you can't do anymore. It's all about your outlook on life, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, it, it really is. But I think, but I think and there's a difference between wanting to be young and, and wanting to feel good. And I think when, you know, like you said, I, I don't look my age. It's not, I'm not looking to try, I'm not trying to look like I'm 47 or, or 37. It'd be lovely. I just want to look, I want to look healthy. Mm-hmm. Healthy, I mean, that is one of the things that really become paramount as you get older, is that you realize that if you have no health, you have, if you don't have your health, you have nothing. You have nothing. Nothing else matters. Health is epic. And you need, and you need to be your own most important advocate. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to be your doc. You you can't rely on your doctors. 
because you're the only person who ever visits you on a daily basis. Uh, and, how, and, uh, how, what's the number that changed your life? December 19th, 1996. Oh. Meeting David um, changed everything. Because I think, because I had it, my parents had the happiest marriage I'd ever seen, which is a hell of a barometer for most for people. You know, especially I, you know, growing up, I never, I, in that decade, I never knew people got divorced and, and things like that. But my parents had an extraordinary relationship and because of the way they treated each other. Because they treated each other. Remember, this is back in the 40s, in the 50s, 50s and 60s. My father always treated my mother as an equal. She wasn't the, quote, the little woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, my, they were, if my mother washed dishes, my father dried them. You know, if, if, if there were bills to it, my mother had a better head for numbers than my father did, so mom paid the bill. It, but they were, they were equals, they were partners in everything. They weren't, just like David and I, they weren't alike. They have very different temperaments. Mom, mom, always, mom always had a, had a book in front of her, and, there's no, and there was, her hands were always busy, she was sewing, she was knitting, she was something. And, and, and my, my, dad was, my dad was different, he was very incredibly handy. He, his cars were spotless. My father's garage was carpeted because um, they were both clean freaks. But, <laughs> but they also, but they raised us. They, they raised my sister and myself with such respect for education, respect for other people, respect for each other. The, 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 the realization that, yes, look, it's, it's much easier to be happy with money than without it. That said, money's not necessarily the source of joy. And joy is, after health, joy is, you wanna live longer, Have some, go get some joy every day. Go find it, go dig for it, whatever it takes. Um, and they just, they, I watched my father just be happy in his life. He had what he wanted. He had, he had the woman he loved, he had two children he adored, he was done. I've only known two content men in my life. One is my father and the other one's David. Uh, and Every time you mention his name, this beautiful smile strikes across <laughs> your face. It's so sweet. But it, and, and because David had a different perception of the world, and does, he sees things differently than I do. It, it helped open me up to realize, yes, I'm obviously an incredibly opinionated person, what a surprise. Um, but it became fascinating to argue with somebody and not always being able to win. <laughs> I was so used to always winning an argument, my intellect to turn a phrase, and, I, and basically I met my match. Um, you needed someone to keep you in check. Well, I think what it is is, is that, you know, we all, when, when it comes to relationships, we always talk about the things that you want, the things that you know, the person, that, yeah, I want him to be this, I want her to be that, or that. It's not what you want, it's what you need. Mm-hmm. You needed your equal. David wasn't what I wanted, David was what I needed. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the stability of knowing that, again, translating, my parents love me unconditionally. People say they have unconditional love, but most of the time, for most people, the only thing in their life that gives them unconditional love is their dog. The, the fact that a person will love you unconditionally. They may not like you that day. They may even hate you that day, but they will still love you unconditionally. It, it, it changes the trajectory of everything. And it changes the energy with which you go into the unknown. 
because you don't have to be afraid because there will always be somebody to pick you up if you stumble. And it's a, it, it's, it's, that's the, that really is, the, the power of love is not, is not kissy, kissy, huggy, huggy. The, 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 the power of, of love is it, it, it allows you to be yourself. It allows you to be yourself without apology. Um, what's the number you check regularly? I, 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 that was the only one I had trouble with. I don't, I can't, stock market. No, I, I, there's, there's nothing I, I, there's not, I check regularly. No. Nothing. Um, I mean, I, again, it, it's not a number that I check regularly. I, I, like, look, I, I have compromised health issues right now. So it, it's, I, I, my health is, 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 is so incredibly important. To, to me, uh, but so is the health of my husband, so is the health of my sister, so is the health of my niece. Your, your main focus should be on your, the immediate people in your world. If you take care of them, if, if, if they're happy, if they're happy, you can get through the day doing the other things. Well, if everyone did that, it would make for a much healthier population. Say, if everybody, if everybody yeah. basically I don't say, if everybody took care of their immediate circle, mm-hmm. we'd all be a lot better off. And I completely agree with you about keeping the people close to you, um, you know, looking after them. I think as a, as a Capricorn, not that I'm hugely kind of into horoscopes or whatnot, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, I've lots of friends, but my circle is very small and those people are very, very dear to me and I'm incredibly loyal to them. Yeah. And they kind of span, like most of my friends are my friends since I'm 14 years old. Look, one of the things you do realize when you when you get to be this age is people start leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I already went through went through the period in, in the in, in the late eighties, early nineties of AIDS, where lots and lots of people left me. Um, most of my friends left me, uh, and but people now and now people are leaving because of natural causes or whatever it is, and because of that, you you just become very much aware of the value of days. Value of days. That's why. Why are you throwing? Why are you throwing a day away? Mm-hmm. Right? Because it, it could be your last. Could be your I don't. Last. You should. I don't think you should live as if you're going to die tomorrow. I don't necessarily think that. that I mean, that's that's very absorbed with the Greek, but um, the, the Kasansakis. But but it's. But you you should live with an, a, a sense of immediate intention. Well, I heard someone say recently, it's like living in the moment is lovely, but it can be difficult because, you know, the kids are screaming or you've worked to do whatever. Live in the week. Yeah. You know, it's a nice nice balance, you know. It's you kind know, of like being you know, that you way know, present. But, you know, that's it. I mean, you know, you want to make, yes, you can make long-range plans, but understand that, that shit happens. Shit happens and every, you have to learn how to be flexible. You do. But you also... Stop putting off the things that you keep saying that you want to do. Just go do them. Just do them. Just start. Just go do them. Okay, we're going to move on to some quick fire questions now. Okay. Some very quick ones. So, how much is a carton of milk? Two sixty nine. I don't know the answer to that, but it sounds about it right. Is. I don't drink milk. No, how I'm, much is it? How much I, is in I, your? I'm, I'm a shopper. You're a shopper, and you also love food. How much <laughs> is in your wallet right now? I carry my money in separately in my pocket, so there's no money in my wallet. My, my money's in my, in my pocket. There's probably about $160. You always carry cash? Yes. What's your favorite time of day? I have two. I love the morning. I, I love the morning, and I love late at night. What time do you wake up? Um, about 7. Okay. David wakes up at 5.30. I wake up at 7. Naturally or with an alarm? Um... Usually naturally, I mean, I, I, I've had to take medicines and things like that, which kind of screws up my, 
system. But naturally, I, I, I would wake up. I'll either, I, I don't usually sleep straight through the night. I usually, I don't, I don't sleep a lot. Okay. I only sleep about five, six hours. So if I go to bed around one, David goes to bed at 11, I go to bed around one. I usually wake up at four and I'll either take a bath or read or... Take a bath at 4 a.m.? Yeah, it's very Oh my God, I'd kill you. It's very soothing. <laughs> if I heard a bath running at 4 a.m., there'd be war. He sleeps. No, there's a, there's a door to the bathroom. I love you it. Don't, you won't hear it. Um, and, then I wake, and then I wake up at 7. So I love the morning. Um, and I like, I love actually, well, I, I, like, I love like right after sundown. Right nice. after sundown when the, when the, the colors get great and then you can you, you start an evening right like that the afternoon's my least favorite time I, if I had my druthers, I would probably sleep from like three to seven oh, every day and like and then be up all the rest <laughs> what's your favorite number my favorite number maybe 20 because that was the day I was born how many coffees do you have a day zero to one that's good what's your guilty pleasure Several, ice cream, when it's good, which is so hard to find these days. Movies, 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 movies. Love movies. It's a bad time for movies because pandemic screwed everything up. Um, and cooking. But then that did. And uh, that all sounds good, though. It's a nice little mix. What's your favorite restaurant in New York? It, it it's it's what I also think is the greatest restaurant in in the world, which is La Bernadette. Which one? La Bernadette. I need to go there. Eric, Eric Repair, to me, is the best chef on earth. What does the world need? Oh, my God. <sighs> I'll, I'll rephrase that. What does the world need more of? Kindness. What's the number that strikes the fear of God in you? Why would a number scare me? Well, I didn't like being 35. But, um, <laughs> and I didn't like having really low T-cell numbers. Um, when they were really low, but, but that didn't, that never struck, right? No, numbers don't frighten me. And look, I, I understand, you know, like in, in Las Vegas, if you ever go in the elevators, there are no, there, there are no, four, there are no floors in, in the forties. It just jumps from the thirties to the fifties because the Chinese think the number the four is, is an unlucky number. I did not know that. Yeah. Okay. They think it's an unlucky number. I don't, I don't attribute that kind of power. To, I love to numbers in, in that way. Like I said, dates are more important to me than numbers. Tax day, I don't like. But, um, <laughs> but, but I don't, not a lot of things frighten me. Well, that explains a lot. When you look back at your career and your life to date, you're just, fearless. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say fearless, but the thing is, I think, I think you should, when you start new things, I think it is important to be afraid. I think it's important to acknowledge fear, but not to be paralyzed. Right, by it. but I think, but I think that's it. You have, you have to, you know, go through that. You, you have to. Why shouldn't you be afraid? You don't know where you're going. You don't know exactly what you're doing. You're trying something, and you could fail. And and I think that's a, very often. It's you know, look, people have fear of success. They also have fear of failure. But the, I think the biggest problem is what they don't do is, you know, they don't map out what's what's the worst that can happen. And very often, the worst that can happen is not as bad as you think it is. So you try something and it fails and it doesn't work. And yeah. I, look, I, there are plenty of things I tried that just, that just did not work. There are jobs that I took, or but they just didn't work. That's it. And you just you chalk it up and you move on. 
Is, is, it, is it scary to walk into a room, to, to, to walk into a room full of strangers? It's intimidating, but you can either walk into a room or you can make an entrance. Decide which one you want. I believe in making an entrance. Hal Rubenstein, thank you so much. I could speak to you for weeks. Thank you so much for being on The Number. A massive thank you to Hal for his time and making his way into the meatpacking district in New York City where we recorded. Um, I could chat to Hal all day. I've subsequently met him and every time I meet him, I'm just fascinated by his energy and his lust for life. And he's constantly moving forward with new projects. If you want to keep up with Hal and his busy life, you can follow him on Instagram at Hal Rubenstein and also make sure to check out his latest book, which is a feast both visually and to read. It's called Dressing the Part, Television's Most Stylish Shows. Now, if you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did, please share your thoughts by leaving a review and a star rating. It really does help the podcast grow and for other people to find us. And if you'd like to receive weekly installments of the number straight to your phone, hit the subscribe button. Until next time, that's it from me. Take care.